everybody, welcome to another drive-through board game blog. Uh, it's been a little while since I did one of these, and I'm going to start to try to do some top 10 lists here, kind of towards the end of the year, beginning of next year. Uh, this is probably the second most requested top 10 list of those that I haven't done yet. Uh, the most requested is kind of like more of like a retrospective. I did one a couple of months back of like my top 10 games up to the year 2000 or something like that, I think. Uh, but I, as far as doing a retrospective of everything after that, I haven't really settled on like a good format for that. And I hadn't, you know, there's a lot of games I didn't really play, you know, way back in the day. I didn't really start playing board games a lot until around like 2004. Um, anyway, so this is the top 10 solo games. And this is, like I said, the second most requested. Now I don't play a ton, ton of solo games, but I do like to play games solo. It's something I do enjoy. And, you know, I look forward to doing it sometimes. Uh, but let's just go ahead and jump right in, just kind of knowing that. Um, number 10 is sort of a cop-out, but I wanted to mention it because that's what I typically do a lot more of, especially I would say in the last two years, and that would be doing apps and also playthroughs on video. Um, so there's a lot of games that you don't really work that well for being a solo game. Uh, let's say I did a solo game of Clash of Cultures, and like I normally would not sit down and play that solo at all, but I do have a lot of fun actually making some of these playthroughs of games that are more competitive. Maybe there's some hidden information. So soloing it is a little bit more difficult in terms of not it just being an exercise. So the playthroughs and the videos, that's kind of an exercise, but I do get into it kind of, you know, talking through uh, part of the, uh, you know, the experience of some of the, the decisions that are, are need to be made. And I also like to play apps a lot or play, you know, games online. I'm actually playing a game online right now uh, on yukata.de of some of the new uh, expansions from automobiles that isn't, out yet, isn't quite out yet. So I'm having a lot of fun doing that. So that's definitely a solo experience, even though sometimes I play online or just play like Kalis against the iOS app and stuff like that too. Uh, so that, I think that counts. And I think that's important to kind of just to mark that. And I just put it as my number 10 uh, because all of the rest of these are frankly ones that I probably rather would rather play, uh, you know, uh, outside of an app. So number 10 is apps and the playthrough videos, kind of those weird one-off things that are kind of maybe individual to just me. Uh, and I could come up with a number 10. So, all right, so number nine is Forbidden Desert slash Forbidden Island. So Forbidden Desert is my favorite of the two. I still do like to play Forbidden Island and I do like to play them as an app. But I would rather play these, uh, you know, in person. I like to set up the board. They're very quick to play. It's like a half an hour probably to play it, especially as you start to kind of devour the strategy and get into some of the different character abilities and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of a very pleasing, small sort of footprint. You know, it doesn't take up a ton of room. You might almost be able to fit it on an airplane tray, although I think it would go over that for sure. You'd be very, very tight. Uh, and it has a nice physical quality to keep you engaged in the game and so you know the the different treasures and the different airplane pieces and everything that you pick up and put together and it's very much a puzzle and it's easy uh, ish to play up to the four uh, different characters at the same time so some solo games you know it gets a little bit overwhelming as you kind of start to juggle multiple heads and multiple players and try to figure out how they might cooperate and stuff like that uh, but this is very doable and it's easy to 
you know, reduce the player counts or the character counts as well. Uh, and they're very, very solidly designed, satisfying games. There's just enough luck in there to kind of keep you guessing, keep you on your toes. Uh, but there's enough kind of agency that you have to, you know, influence it. That's just not like I'm sitting there rolling dice waiting for the outcome to happen. Uh, so that's number nine. Uh, number eight is Robinson Crusoe. And this is probably the first one where I will make this note, but I will make this note again, is this game is probably higher up in my estimation than other games on the list, but in terms of actually playing it solo, there's other games I'd rather play it solo. But this one I would rather actually play, uh, you know, with a group. Uh, my family and I have played this a few times, and uh, really have enjoyed it. And this is one where I, it's there's like enough going on and enough kind of possibility that it's good to have other people at the table there to kind of discuss things with because. The game is actually really relatively uh, streamlined and easy to play and, you know, figure out what you want to do. But it's good to have those other folks discussing things as like, oh, yeah, I wasn't thinking about building the shelter. I wasn't thinking about the weather this turn. Uh, you know, I was thinking more about exploring the island or maybe crafting a tool. And there's a lot of different scenarios to play as well with this, which is makes it really replayable and revisitable uh, in terms of a solo game. Uh, because, you know, it's not the same thing over and over again. Whereas like Forbidden Desert, it's basically the same setup and a lot of these games. But it's a very kind of different uh there's different goals and different objectives that you're going to run into. So it keeps it fresh and it keeps it coming back. Um, but this would be higher on my list if I was maybe ordering these in terms of my favorite co-op or something. But in terms of solo, this is kind of a little too much going on. It's a little bit fiddly for solo play, uh, but not much. I mean, it wouldn't be on my list if I thought it was really fiddly, but it's just like right on that edge in terms of trying to juggle uh, some of the different stuff. Now it does come with some good rules because you can use like a little dog type of character and then there's a Friday character and stuff so kind of offset that as well. It's kind of, they act as almost like a, almost like a little mini AI. They're like almost like half a character that you can use and those actually do work pretty well too. So that's number eight. Uh, number seven, and this is another note here, is Defenders of the Realm. Uh, this one would be way up on the list <laughs> but in terms of soloing it, it's a little bit fiddly because you have like these hands of cards that you're trying to uh you know build in such a way that you can travel certain ways or, or defeat these big monsters and that gets a little unwieldy as you're playing it solo whereas if you're playing with other players they've got their own hand of cards and they're communicating and you know they're trading cards and all that and like and then you're kind of meeting up to fight a monster and you're like i've got these cards you've got these let's kind of make our way here to fight the big dragon or whatever um but it's still really fun solo to me and this kind of dovetails with uh, Robinson Crusoe as well. There's enough kind of narrative and story and just sort of, there's sort of an arc to the game where as the game kind of evolves, it's not the same as when you started playing the game. So that everything has changed. You've, you know, in this, in this case, like, you know, taint has spread, uh, minions have spread, some monsters have died and now the other monsters are getting stronger. And so there's enough of that to keep you kind of going and not get bored, uh, you know, with the play that it works well as a solo game because you can really see that progression and you know you're like okay I'm in, I'm in like an hour and a half now and not, okay things are different now and I'm, I'm not where I was before so you know that's really a good uh, bonus for this and in this case this game has tons 
of characters and different ways to play. Uh, you know, you can play with like just the dragons or just the basic uh, creatures and there's different levels of minions and there's just a ton of stuff you can throw in. There's a bunch of different quest cards. Uh, so it's really got a lot available to it to really beef it up. And then you can really spend, you know, lots and lots of time. I think if you were like a really kind of a hardcore solo gamer, this would be a great one because of just the wealth of stuff in there and you could really kind of commit to, uh, you know, playing it for years actually. That was number seven. Uh, number six is Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. And this one, I probably prefer to play this one solo over, uh, you know, with other players. Uh, it's very easy to juggle a couple of different characters, although it is better played when you have kind of more characters, which, you know, it's a little bit harder to juggle when there's more, but if you just play like two, it's, it feels like the game's a little bit harder to, to play. Um, so the one that is really kind of competing with this one, this is right in that vein of like Pathfinder, the adventure card game, uh, the Lord of the Rings card game, and then most recently the Arkham Horror uh, LCG. And I kind of go back to this one and only because it's got what's called a delve mode. So instead of playing through like a scenario or in the case of the Arkham LCG uh, campaign, you can kind of play what's called um, uh, a uh, a roguelike, which is just a kind of a randomly generated dungeon. It's a video game term where you kind of go into this dungeon and then the pathways and the monsters and everything is all kind of shuffled together and you don't quite know what you're going to uh, expect. And so that is the best way to play the game. And it's almost like you play like a little mini campaign in the space of maybe an hour and a half or so. And you kind of you progress within that but you don't have to like maintain it between sessions and kind of drag it out and all that. And to me, that is the best way uh, to play this game. And so this is like perfect for just sit down, do kind of a dungeon crawly type of feel and see how far you can make it, you know? So see how far you can get through the roguelike. Uh, and this I think probably is at least my estimation, the best game uh, of that style. And that is Warhammer Quest number six. Uh, number five is Eldritch Horror. And this is kind of one I can go back and forth on in terms of playing it co-op versus playing it uh, solo. I do really like playing this co-op. It does come out still, uh, you know, every couple of months we'll break it out and play it. And it's a great time. And there's so much stuff out for it now. There's so there's like way too much stuff almost. I think I got everything. I may not have like the last thing that came out, but I'm not really super sure. Um, this is a good one to you know, really, again, kind of similar to Defenders of the Realm where you can get in and play. There's tons and tons of different characters and special abilities that you can make use of. There's tons of old ones to go after. Uh, you know, there's just, there's all the different modules from the different expansions, Mountains of Madness. And then there's the Pyramid expansion, which I'm, oh, under the pyramids. <laughs> uh, and that's really good. And there's another one coming out, I know, by the end of this year or maybe early next year. Um, so and it's another one of those, again, with a narrative type of thing where it really changes through the game. You know, you're going to be focused on getting clues to defeat the mysteries, and then it's going to throw you a wrench. You know, it's going to throw one of those blue uh, mysteries at you or the blue uh, uh, chaos cards, whatever they're called. <laughs> and, you know, that's going to be like a little side quest that you have to do or else you're going to lose the game. Uh, so that's going to change things up and you've got to really, you know, sort of manage all of the different characters and what they're doing. And it does scale uh, pretty well uh, in terms of the player count. So it's really gonna ramp up if you've got a lot of characters in there and you can play it with you know, two or three players. Uh, and you can easily um, kind of double or triple fist those characters as a solo player because the actions are pretty discreet. You know, you, know, you move here, you buy a railroad ticket, you move here, and then you wait and you have your encounter. Or 
uh, you, the only thing actually that it can get a little bit fiddly is once you start to acquire a bunch of weapons and spells, but you kind of slowly kind of trickles those out to you. So it's not too bad to kind of juggle. And I don't find myself often forgetting like, oh, I could have done this when I play Eldritch Horror. So some games, uh, which you won't see on this list, one of the problems is, is you'll play through it and it'll be really fun. And then you'll realize, oh yeah, I totally cheated like an hour ago. And that's kind of a bummer because you're like, well, do I keep playing? It's like, that's one of the things about solo games where it's, it's a bummer because you play through and you're like, oh, well, okay, maybe I rolled good. You can kind of, you know, fudge it a little bit and just say, well, let's pretend I rolled a six on that turn. Not a big deal, you know, but if you do something kind of really off the rails, it's like, oh, now I'm playing like a broken game. And it's just so, just such a, uh, you know, dissatisfying, heart-sinking type of feeling. Um, but I don't find that that happens in any of these games on this list. And Elder Chore could be something like that, but the way kind of information comes, you know, you can get around that. Now, number four, I don't currently have, but it's coming out again soon, and that's Nemo's War. Uh, this is one of the best, like, pure solo games. This is just a game meant for one player, no more. You could play co-op, and I think even the new version coming out might have actual co-op rules. Um, but it's just you and Nemo's uh, submarine and kind of driving around the oceans, the seven seas, and going on different types of missions. You can be very sort of combat-oriented, kind of sinking imperialist ships or fighting pirates or, you know, going on like research expeditions or hunting for treasure, uh, trying to, you know, keep your sub fixed up and your crew's morale up and all these kind of different things to manage. Uh, it's very easy to kind of get into. It's not the prettiest game in the world, although the new version is going to look much, much prettier. Uh, but I probably for my money, the, the, out of all the games that I've played, and I haven't played a ton like this, but that are just designed for one player, this is the one that really uh, get kind of I will keep coming back to. It's got little kind of paragraph story stuff for when you end the game and based on kind of your ending. So there's kind of multiple endings and multiple paths. Uh, you know, you can be it's like more of a science type person or more militaristic and all that. Uh, so I highly recommend this game, especially when it comes out here. It should be coming out pretty soon, maybe beginning of next year sometime. So that was number four. Uh, number three is really a series of games, but the main game out of it is Cuba Libre. Uh, but I would definitely recommend uh, Andy and Abyss and uh, Liberty or Death and A Distant Plane. And there's a couple others that are in the series now. Uh, but Cuba Libre really is the, the best one, I think, because it's just the others have a ton going on. Uh, at least comparatively to Cuba Libre. Cuba Libre has a lot going on too. Um, but it, Cuba Libre is a little bit more digestible. It's not as sprawling as a, a map to take in. The special abilities and actions of the different factions in the Cuba game are not as sort of exception based. You know, it's not like, oh, when this faction does this, you do this. But you've got to check this other thing where if they have, you know, four guys in the deployment box, then you do this. So there's not like a lot of that in Cuba Libre. Um, and so that makes it a little more manageable. And I kind of just like the story of that one um, the best. It's the most interesting to me in terms of what the different motivations for the factions are. You've got this kind of evil, sort of bad Batista government that's aligned with the Mafia, and they're trying to sort of just exploit it. And then you've got Castro's faction, and then the counterpart faction that Castro betrays at the end. Um, and it's really relevant now since he just died. But um, And so you've got all that kind of thing mixed in there. And so it's very much uh, the teams of it 
so the the Batista and the, and the Mafia, they're together. So that is interesting thing kind of thing. And then Castro and then the other revolutionaries, they're also together. They really are together. And then at one point they're going to try to separate and not be together. So that's an interesting sort of dynamic to go through. Whereas in some of the other games, all four factions are really not together. They kind of just lie for a little bit and then maybe they'll, they'll break, apart, break apart, but they were never really fully together. And I think kind of the betrayal and stuff in this is, is more interesting kind of to play through. And it's, it's definitely more engaging and it just kind of makes my hair stand up when you think about the history of it. Um, so that is, uh, number three, but I would recommend still, if the Cuba thing didn't interest you, uh, Ending Abyss is also interesting. That's about kind of the Colombian civil war, which we're still kind of, uh, uh, dealing with today. And uh, Liberty or Death is kind of the American uh, Revolution. Uh, also very interesting, a lot going on there. That's a kind of a, see, in some of the other ones like uh, Liberty or Death or A Distant Plane or what's the other one, the Vietnam one, uh, some of the factions are a little bit wonky in terms of how they operate. So, uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, Cuba Libre is a little bit more straightforward than the others, which makes it easier to solo. Uh, number two, and these, okay, so the last two, I could probably tuck a couple of more games in this list that are very similar to these two. Um, but these are definitely at the top of the list. So number two is Shadows of Brimstone. And this is one I probably, well, certainly like to play co-op as much as I like uh, playing solo. Now, the great thing about this game is it has a lot going for it in terms of solo play. Uh, there's a lot to it. There's a ton to it. There's so much out for it. And they just funded, like the other day, a, a second Kickstarter campaign for a bunch of more stuff. Um, and you have tons of monsters. You have a very interesting way of almost doing like a roguelike, but it's more of like a campaign level roguelike where you generate uh, adventures that you can go on. You have lots of different characters that you can play. Uh, they can mutate in different ways. You can just go down in a mine one time and find like a nutty demon. And next time you'll go in, it'll be like some bandits. And, you know, it'll just be a very, uh, varied uh, adventure each time. I mean, they have the new uh, Frontier Town expansion. So when you go to town, I mean, even without that expansion, when you go to town, a town is like a game into itself where you go visit the doctor's office or, you know, the smithy and you maybe have to fight off bandits in town and stuff. So it's just a very rich, uh, you know, world that they've created. And you can play it certainly with just like two or three characters yourself as a solo game, uh, just fine. And you can really, you could try to play it um, you know, just as a single character and see how far you get. Cause the game does scale, uh, relatively well. And there are certain characters that are going to be a little bit more of a kind of a jack of all trades type of character. So they're going to have some kind of, you know, healing and some, uh, better kind of armor type of things and they'll have a decent attack. So you can make it through, uh, you know, a couple of missions. And once you kind of make it through a couple of missions in this game, uh, then you're going to be in good shape where you're not just getting kind of like, instantly wiped out. Whereas you, when you start off early, if you're playing with just one character, um, you can just get kind of killed pretty quickly. So you just start over. And then once you kind of get over that first threshold though, you'll have some tools. You'll be able to kind of go on a different mission and, and make progress and then get, you know, more, uh, more weapons and, and magic and stuff like that. And then the monsters will start to scale up and everything. Uh, so I definitely recommend this one 
and it's just a ton to really invest in if you have like kind of a hobbyist mentality at all if you like to paint um, miniatures and all that then you can certainly invest in that and that's a good nice solo activity as well uh, i will i guess i should caveat um, we'll certainly go watch my reviews of, of all these games, uh, but uh, I do mention in the review of this, the miniatures like in the base, the first two base sets are not so good. Uh, the miniatures they've come out with since then are fine. They're perfectly good miniatures and uh, they look nice and everything. And I've, I've just now started to actually paint some of the miniatures in the game. So that's number two. And number one is a similar vibe. It's another kind of dungeon crawly game. And this is uh, Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. So it's a new Warhammer Quest that came out. And this one is sort of the sort of counter side to Shadows of Brimstone in some ways. So Brimstone is a longer epic campaign. You know, you're, that's gonna stretch out over probably years that you could do it. And you can do multiple campaigns, obviously. This one has a campaign system uh, but it's not going to go longer than, you know, eight or nine quests or whatever it is. It's not going to go super long. Um, but the thing with this is that keeps me kind of coming back to it is it's very replayable and varied, not quite as varied as Shadows of Brimstone, but it has this, um, kind of like Tales of the Arabian Night has this paragraph book. And that's going to generate some of the more random encounters. So you're going to go through the quest and you can kind of play these quests in different orders if you wish. And they're going to have kind of a, uh, a fixed sort of reaction to what the players do because you build up the quest deck with the card. So you're going to kind of know what's going to happen. Uh, but then it has this sort of chaotic underpinnings there with this thing called a respite phase where you rest. And then if you rest too much, then you kind of generate uh, some crazy encounters and the tower itself kind of comes alive. Uh, but you might also find some extra treasure by doing that. Um, so he has all that kind of stuff. So it's, you kind of revisit the same place. It's more confined uh, than Shadows of Brimstone, but there's a little bit more chaos inside in terms of what could be generated. Um, and so that's really neat. And it's a little bit more easier to sort of set up on the table, first of all, and then digest and then progress. You can just kind of tuck some cards away, just a handful of cards, and you can come back and play the next time. Whereas Brimstone, there's lots of bookkeeping. There's like RPG sheets you're filling out, you know, all my inventory and all that stuff. Uh, now, the thing that pushes this in a little bit further is you can go and pick up, there's been two expansions of like hero boxes that you can add into the basic wizard five or six heroes in the base game. Uh, but then if you had like extra Warhammer stuff, which I do, uh, you can throw in those heroes and some of the heroes from the different factions. And then you got some really cool adventures. So you could have like a bunch of Stormcast Eternals going in trying to like maybe throw down a little justice on uh, the Zinch guys. Or you can have a couple of Zinch guys go in there and why are they in there? Because they're chaotic idiots and they want to just go mess with this other Zinch guy. <laughs> or you could have like an assembly of dwarves. Or some of the classes are frankly overpowered and you can try to just solo it with one guy and just kind of munch through everything. Uh, and you could try to play, my favorite adventure so far has been, I played with a couple of the um, uh, the corn, the bloodbound, and uh, it basically took out anybody that was like a, a dedicated healer, although you can take a basic action to heal, and just went in there and they were just like so sort of crazed that they went in and they tried to, you know, take some revenge on Zinch and, uh, and some of his minions, who uh, the Gaunt Summoner who's controlling the tower and just go in there and kind of bloodthirstily kill everything. Um, so, and that was a very interesting thing I kind of play is try to just play it very aggressively and, uh, you know, to the three sheets to the wind kind of attitude. So I like that you can kind of go in here and reinvest and it, it lets you in a very sort of, I don't know, I guess elegant and subtle way, 
create all that kind of story similar to Shadows of Brimstone, but without that super huge investment. I mean, you've got the base game, you can buy some extra heroes, and that's it. And then you can go in and just kind of tailor the story to what you want. So if you wanted to just get the base game, you're like, okay, the base game comes with the one dwarf, I get the other dwarf from the other expansion box, and maybe buy these two other dwarves or whatever. And then we can go and have the dwarves, guys, or you can do, like I said, the Bloodbounds, or just have a real crazy type of scenario, and really kind of build up a story and a narrative for your kind of band that you want to send in there, or try to solo it even. Um, but it's got that same dungeon crawly stuff, um, but it's not super uh, reliant on the campaign and the scenarios, where a game like Descent, uh, which, you know, that might be in here because the app is really cool to solo, but it's also very kind of driven by the scenario. So it's kind of like, it kind of feels the same. There's a little bit of variation in there, and it's maybe because I don't have, uh, you know, all the extra stuff that would make it more. Um, but this one is that you don't need that much stuff to vary it up that much. Uh, so anyway, that's my number one in terms of the solo game. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. That's my top solo games. I know there's a bunch that I left off of here. Uh, the one that was maybe making the list was Mage Knight. Uh, that's a good one to solo. But that, again, that's one of those where it's like you can screw that one up and then you can realize that you cheated like an hour ago. And it's just a very disheartening, uh, feeling. Uh, to that. So, yeah, so that is that. And I also didn't mention any, uh, uh, some stuff that I have sold is like some more war games, like No Retreat is one that's interesting to solo. Um, but I honestly, I prefer to play that one usually on Vassal where we can play and, you know, take our turns and, uh, you know, email the turns to everybody. That's a little bit more fun to have. But some of those style war games I have like playing like House Divided, um, it's, those are interesting from like an exercise point of view, but if I want to sit down and like, I want to play a game and play it against somebody, uh, you know, I'd rather have the war games on that aspect. Like combat commander is one that's actually, that was, that would probably be my number 11 in here because that has enough kind of chaos and sort of card flipping off the deck that you can, you can sort of play that blindly. So I was probably, I'd fit that in at my number 10, but you know, it's much, much better when you play it against another player. But there's enough narrative in Combat Commander Europe that I think you could probably play it solo. So if you're more of a Wargamer style player, I think my best would be Combat Commander Europe. Um, but anyway, so that's the only other kind of honorable mention, I guess, would be that one. So that is the list, and thanks. Thanks.